0: Here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks, and welcome to the drop zone. Dylan DeCher here talking to Sean Zock. We've got an exciting show for you today. We've got the one and only Michelle Wee calling into the program. uh, To talk about... A bunch of stuff, her new event, but also we get a little reflective, Sean, a little perspective, a little talk about junior golf, professional golf, what it all means, her highs. We got her highs and lows. Yeah, of her career, (laughs) which
1: is a long period of time. Uh, That felt like a tough question you asked her, but I thought she gave a really good answer. So that's it.
0: Sometimes people like tough questions. I've got to say, maybe I'm just going to break that out every press conference now because I, someone took my question in the press conference last week, right before I got past the mic at the president's cup. That's tough. So I just asked the question that we always ask when we're at team dinners. Yeah. I said, all right, wait, what were your highs for the day? Did I say this on last week's drop zone? No, you didn't. All right. I guess we just talked offline about it. Anyway, when you ask people what their highs are, sometimes you get a good answer.
1: Yeah. uh, Maybe that'll incur some reflection from uh, our own drop zone listeners, you know? They're riding in the car, heading home from work. What was my high today? What was my low today? High
0: today, low. What did What did you learn? That's the third thing. Yeah. Um,
1: well, hopefully you're listening super intently because I'd like to tell you about Radmore Golf. Folks, you've heard us talk about Radmore for a number of months now. Hopefully it's not getting old because... There's a lot going on on Radmore golf.com. I was just perusing it, Dylan. I know you want me to pick out some things that I'm going to get from Radmore.
0: Yeah. Want, what do you have your eye on? I'm looking at this shadow collection,
1: which is a bunch of dark clothing It's a bunch of dark muted coloring. Uh, and I thought of it because I was spending time with some friends in Milwaukee. A good buddy of mine has the black rad cap. It's the all black cap. I, I gave it to him as a gift, admittedly, but his wife, Whenever he wears it, freaks out. She absolutely loves it. She's like, that's the best hat that he owns. I love that Radmore cap. Get him some more of this stuff. (laughs) So Alex, if you're listening, uh, you've hit your quota on free gifts from Sean. You need to go to RadmoreGolf.com, buy more of the Shadow Collection. And that's a lesson for everybody. 25% off with the code DROPZONE, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E. If you buy the uh, Shadow Collection graphite jacket you're gonna get basically 60 dollars off Dylan like big gains for people to have big savings for people to have at RadmoreGolf.com. shadow collection it's got my eye right now
0: love it couldn't have said it better myself um kind of a wild week Sean it's 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 kind of like lawsuit bingo on the PGA tour right now it feels like the biggest news happening this week just has to do with
1: I think it's more like lawsuit poker. There's there's anteing and there's raising, re-raising. There's, there's a lot of back and forth right now. And frankly, we've reached the point of no return, I think, on this stuff.
0: I'm bringing it up to, to say we're not going to get that deep in this stuff right now, partly because <laughs> it's Thursday when we're recording. I think this is going to come out on Sunday. Uh, we've only begun the process of diving into these court documents, but also... You're probably over it. It's football season.
1: Well, I'm certainly over it as the person who's been covering most of it for golf.com. But the Patrick Reed lawsuit, it's bogus. It really is bogus. Like Phil Mickelson and all of the live golfers who went into the initial lawsuit against the PGA Tour, suddenly they're pulling out because they were never really meant to do it on their own anyways. So there's a lot of fronting. There's a lot of kind of BS legal stuff going on. This is not the podcast for that. If there's news that breaks out of it, we'll be the first to tell you about it. Uh, But we're not going to get into the hairy details because, frankly, it's not even worth our time.
0: What is worth our
1: time, Sean? Michelle, we is worth our time. We talked to her earlier this week. Uh, She's been in the news recently for a number of reasons. Partly the fact that she's going to be hosting a tour event next year, the LPGA Tour. Technically... Everyone's saying it's in New York, but it's actually in New Jersey. Shout out to my friends from New Jersey, Liberty National. We're gonna tell you all about that upcoming LPJ event, and then just break down Michelle's career because there's a lot more. Uh, I think there's a lot more that she hasn't always talked about. She's even said that she felt guarded early in her, her career on sharing everything, being super forthright with the media. Uh, I found that to be interesting. I found it interesting, like how she felt she needed to get there, what she had to do to get away from that kind of, I guess, hidden part of her life. Uh, what was your favorite part of talking with Michelle?
0: Just how reflective she is. I think she is very honest about the way she sees her own career. I think there has now been enough time since she felt the pressure of being, I don't know, the best female golfer in the world. Um, of chasing competing on the PGA tour in addition of being this icon that she can now look back and see it in a different light and say, look, that, that's the only thing I knew at the time. Um, I think when she talks about going to the pediatrician
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, to have a look at her wrist instead of someone more specialized, um, orthopedic surgeon. I mean, just the sort of things that you assume from the outside that people know how to do. Yeah you realize when you're talking to them, how would they? Yeah. Um, so I think that was my favorite part.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing her talk about how open Ernie Ells was <laughs> and
0: how uh, Ernie kind of ha-
1: like took her under his wing, if ever so briefly, just for a practice round when she was playing a PGA Tour event. I cannot imagine, cannot imagine as a, to be a, a teenage girl trying to compete on the PGA Tour, like what that would be like how intimidating that would be. And like, let's not even think about the PJ tour, how intimidating it probably was for her to play on the LPGA tour as a youngster. That's kind of the entire thesis behind her event that she's going to host next year on the LPGA tour is like trying to break down some of those barriers of intimidation. Some of those barriers um, that exist, I guess, between junior golf and pro golf and not just break down the barriers, but like build a bridge over them maybe. And, and try to just make it, A more cohesive golf world from the early, early days in in elite player careers uh, all the way to retirement, which she also talks about.
0: All right, Sean. Well said. Um, Well, instead of just telling you all about Michelle, we'll just toss it to Michelle. Enjoy. All right. We are here with a very special guest. It is Michelle Wee West joining us uh, from home. Michelle, where are you?
2: Yeah, I'm home right now.
0: We see a Final Four uh, logo sticking out in the background. Um, Michelle, you are announcing a very cool, very special, very different uh, new event to happen next year. The new Mizuho Americas Open in June, Jersey City, Liberty National. Can you tell us about this event just to kick us off?
2: Yeah, no, um, I'm super pumped about it. The format, especially, is what I'm really pumped about. Um, You know, it really integrates junior golfers. There'll be 24 top-ranked junior golfers who will be fully integrated into the event. It won't just be like a... um, you know, they play in the Pro-Am or something like that, they're truly going to compete alongside the pros on the weekend. Obviously, with logistics, it was really hard to figure out. So kudos to both Mizuho, AJGA, and the LPGA for figuring that out because the logistics are very tough. Um, But it's going to be 120 pros, um, full field event. And then also we're going to have 24, like I said. Um, the The amateurs will play by themselves on Thursday and Friday just because it's really hard to figure out who gets to play with who and then on the weekend they will cut to 50 um, but 50 to 70 will still get paid out thanks Mizuho and we'll still get points and world ranking points and all of that but then it'll be you know the juniors will have their own field and the LPGA will have their own field and each respectively will play for a trophy. So the one, two on the leaderboard leaning into the weekend will play with the number one junior on the, on Saturday, and it'll kind of go down from there on. Um, so it's really cool all week. They'll go through media training. They'll go to the pro-am party they'll play in the pro-am, really get a taste of what it's like to be a pro. And, you know, we've all had that experience. Fortunately, you know, me, especially played in a lot of pro events when I was younger and, you know, that was like the defining moment where I knew I could do this. I wanted to do it and inspired me to be better. So I'm hoping that these girls have an amazing, um, amazing week and mentorships are fostered and friendships are, are made between the juniors and the pros. And I know the pros are really excited for this as well.
1: When you think back to, I guess, filling those junior shoes when you were younger, what were you looking to in terms of a mentor? What, what, what was lacking that you're trying to i guess create here
2: um you know on my end you know obviously it's very different watching golf on tv versus you know following the following the pros and watching it from outside the ropes you know going on the range, it was like the most intimidating thing ever. So I was just like, Someone, please smile at me, please. Um, but you know, I had a great experience, even, even when I played on the PGA tour. Um, you know, Ernie came up to me and asked me if I wanted to play a practice round with him, and I was like, Oh my god. Yes. And it's it's like stuff like that that makes such an impact on a junior's life. And you know, when I played on the LPGA tour, you know, Meg Mallon and Beth Daniel, they really, you know, took me in and were so nice to me and would play and practice around with me and kind of tell me where to go, what to do. Um, and it's stuff like that that's so special. Nothing was, you know, set up in an artificial way, it's just really organic um you know they just saw me and they're like oh you know i guess she's nice and you know i think they every pro that has gone on to play the circuit has an experience of being a junior golfer so we all know the flip side so i think every pro that's going to be in the situation is going to be really excited to see the juniors because we've all been there
0: how does this idea go from idea to reality? Like. Does it start with you saying, Hey, I want to have a golf tournament that accomplishes this purpose (laughs) is the LPGA like, Hey, Michelle, we want your help putting together an event. How does that happen?
2: Yeah, honestly, like being a tournament host was always something that I wanted to do. Um, but I never thought it would happen this fast, to be honest. Um, you know, I think the biggest kudo goes to Mizuho. Um, you know, they're investing a lot of money, multi-year, you know, one of the biggest purses, non-major purses, $2.75 million. And, you know, making a big investment. This is their first. Um, investment into professional sports and they ha- could have gone any different route they could have gone to the bJ tour they could have gone hockey basketball like you name it anything else um, but they decided they really wanted to invest in women's golf but they also wanted to do They, they they're the ones that came up with this format because they were like, we want to really invest heavily into women's golf, but we also want to make a difference, um, you know, and their core values really align with LPGA. So it really worked out well. Um, and they brought me in and obviously, you know, I'm super passionate about this as well. So I think it's overall, just all working out, you know, great.
1: Why New York city? It's a long way from where you are right now. Why did you settle on uh, the big apple?
2: I love New York City um more than anywhere in the world. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Um you know, but I think it's really important that, you know, us as the LPGA, you know, we really do well in smaller markets, you know, the Cornings of the world and you know the the Arkansas and but I think, you know, we need to keep exposing ourselves to the bigger markets. Um and there's no bigger city in America than New York City and you know it's mm. going to have a lot of eyeballs. I think, you know, having the ferry ride in you know, going past the Statue of Liberty is going to be a lot of fun for the players, but also, you know, be in a big market, um, get a lot of exposure for the players um, and for the tournament. So I think New York City is an amazing, amazing city to do that. Um, Liberty National being the one of the most iconic venues in, in the country. Um, I think it's going to be an amazing
0: match.
1: Non golf question: Dylan and I both lived in New York City for quite a while. I lived there for seven years. Dylan, what you four,
0: five years? Yeah, four years.
1: Uh, all right, Michelle, what's your favorite part of New York City that you don't get to? Uh, you don't get to see very often, or, or what's the first thing you're doing when you get back to the city?
2: Oh man, you know the thing is, I know the trash bags are disgusting, <laughs> but I have to say, there's no more nostalgic feeling than. <laughs> walking around the city in the oh, summer and there's black trash bags everywhere and it smells like piss um, i don't know those two combined just really hits Her home favorite for me
1: thing i is love the that that's
0: the first thing that came to your mind yeah i was thinking of like oh man I'd, where would i go sit down for dinner maybe go get a cocktail <laughs> michelle's like Show me that trash. <laughs>
2: Show me that trash, New York City. No, honestly, it's just, I just, I don't know. I just love everything about the city. And, you know, even the parts where people are like, oh, that's so gross. I'm just like, yes, but that's what makes <laughs> New York City. It's like the grunge and and everything. Um, you know, I recently spent, you know, some time there and it's really great to see you come back after COVID. And I was there for a San Gennaro festival, actually. Um, yeah, past totally. week, And that was a trip. I've never been there in time for that. Um, But yeah, no, I love the food, Um, just love walking. I think anytime I go to the city, like we just walk like eight miles in a day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's like the, it's the only free attraction in New York City, first of all. (laughs) Uh, But it's also definitely the best way to see it. It's funny, there was a real, that real surge of like, oh yeah, New York City is never coming back and people got cheap rent for like four months. And that was like, (laughs) psych. Um, Michelle, I'm curious, who were your heroes growing up like who were your role models as a kid
2: yeah um obviously tiger woods i think my dad had a photo of his backswing in his wallet and and oh, did sweet. not you know like in the clear part of your wallet where you like usually put your kids like yearbook photo in yeah, there yeah. And, or your id <laughs> yeah he had tigers like backswing in his um wallet what like, part
0: see, wait what part of the Backswing. The top, the top, okay, right It top, top, top of the back swing.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's a work of art. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> so I think I was like forced into loving tiger as a kid. And my I remember my childhood bedroom, there was like, you know, the Tiger Woods, you know, swing sequence photos and Ernie L's swing sequence photos. Um, so obviously Ernie. Um, so when he asked me to play with him, I was just like, dream come true. Um, on the woman's side um, Sari Pak, um, you know, really was a big role model for me. She was the first person that made me realize that I could do this. Um, and it's also why I truly believe represent representation really does matter because, you know, when you see male golfers, win tournaments, when you see people that don't look like you win tournaments, it doesn't really truly hit home that you yourself can do it, you know, but when she won the 1998 us open, um, I remember my parents being glued to the TV and me being like, Oh my God, that, like, she looks like me. I can do this. Um, so I think winning the US Open because of that was like one of my biggest tournaments dreams that I wanted to win.
0: How about now? Who are your heroes now? Who are your role models? Who do you look up to?
2: Um, I don't know. I think um, I don't like really, I guess, look up to people in the sense of like, oh, my God, she's my role model. But I think people that inspire me um, would be like someone like Jessica Alba. Um, you know, she yeah, she I you know, I've I've met her a couple of times and everything that she does is just so inspiring. You know, how she, you know, was an actress and now a businesswoman and like really created this you know empire um is really inspiring. Um but yeah, I think that would be my my big one right now.
0: Sean, how about you?
1: (sighs) My role model right now? I was just thinking how hard a question that actually is.
0: Current Euros. That was a
2: hard question.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you took it in that direction though, because you have gone through, or at least you've just laid out the fact that you started with golf role models and idols, and you have transitioned into a different part of your life where you're not playing a lot of golf anymore. And you won't go so far as to call it uh, like the hard R word retirement, but uh, you've, you're moving on to being a host of tournaments. Hosting podcasts, getting into business partnerships and that kind of stuff. I'm curious when it flipped for you that you needed to, or that you felt like you wanted to start considering the later stage of your career. Was there something or someone that told you, now is the time? Um, was there someone who helped you out through that?
2: Um, yeah, there's definitely no one that's like, now you must transition into the next part of your life. <laughs> Um, It's something I've always wanted to do, Um, you know, doing a podcast with Hallie. It's something that we've always talked about, uh, but I never had time. I mean, I was traveling 10 and a half months out of the year. So it's always these things I kind of always put on the back burner, Um, you know, being a host of tournament. Obviously, I'm never going to do that while I'm playing on tour Um, and doing kind of like these businessy things. Never, you know, had really time to do it. Um, So I've always wanted to do it. And then I always put it on the back burner. And then I just like kind of started to do more of it. And then it kind of became like, while I was injured, I was doing more of this, less of golf. And it just kind of became like this swing where I kind of started to see I was doing more of the stuff that I I wanted to do, I put on the back burner, and then playing less golf. And then I obviously there went through a phase where, you know, I fully went back into golf and doing less of the things that I kind of put on the back burner. And I just came to a point, you know, where with my body, with, you know, having a family that, you know, I just, Felt like it was time to transition um, into the next part of of my life. It was a really hard decision to make. um, And I'm still going through it, but I'm having a lot of fun. And, you know, David Ledbird still likes to remind me that Pebble Beach is just right around the corner. He sent me some um, swing tools (laughs) um, to use. He's staying at our house actually next month. And I still have yet to open the box. So I have to like <laughs> open the box and act like I use them and really practice. Right.
0: Hopefully he's not listening.
2: <laughs> I know David earmuffs don't listen. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I still love the game of golf. I'm just so fortunate that all the things that I you know want to do is really bring me back into golf into different aspects. Um, there's things that I want to do. I want to help you know, increase access to the game and increase, um, diversification and, you know, that I have time to do that. And it's a lot of fun. It's really cool.
1: How much golf are you playing right now? (laughs) If any, at all,
2: again, David Ledbetter earmuffs, don't tune in (laughs) to this. Um, I think since the US open, I've played three rounds of golf.
1: Love it. Not a ton. Yeah, yeah, that's not okay.
2: Really fun, but I'm definitely I play a lot more pickleball, I think.
1: Oh, pickleball.
0: What's what your scouting re- Yeah, what's your scouting report on your own pickleball game?
2: I mean, the same reason why I quit tennis. Um, I'm really heavy on my feet. But I feel like I have pretty good hand-eye coordination. I've got some speed with my swing. Um, so I like to smash the ball, which supposedly in pickleball, you don't really do. You're supposed to dink, mm. but um, I like to smash the ball for sure.
1: You've mentioned how much, you use the word fun, you transitioning away from a full-time golf career. Um, But what part of that has been a struggle? Because I know it can't all be sunshine and rainbows actually making that transition. So if you can at least share a little bit of what has made that tough.
2: Yeah, for sure. Identity crisis, for one. (laughs) Um, That was a big part of it. Uh, Being like, okay, I'm not playing golf full time. Like, who am I? Um, Because, you know, I spent a lot, most of my years playing golf and that was like my main identity, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And now it's like, you know, all these other things, you know, I'm trying this, I'm trying that. But like, what is like my core identity? Um, which I'm really grateful for the opportunity that Mizuho has given me to host this event because I feel like that is like my true core identity is to, you know, help junior golfers and help, you know, um, elevate the game. And just really glad that I'm able to do that. But yeah, definitely, identity crisis is a big one.
0: <laughs> it's definitely murky retirement season in like big time professional sports right now. I mean, Tom Brady retiring, unretiring. He's 65 years old, still playing in the NFL. Uh, Serena, who also doesn't really like the, the word retirement, but definitely said goodbye at the US Open. Um, Federer had me in tears the other day. Um, it's a lot of people that are thinking about the ends of their careers and a bunch of actually former Nike athletes too. If you throw Tiger in there too, tournament host, still player, doing all these different things. Do you have particular emotional reactions when you see those other players thinking about those decisions, those other greats in their sports?
2: Yeah, I definitely cried when um, Federer and I saw Federer cry and then did cry. I'm like, why are you guys not crying? It's making me cry. Like you guys stop being emotional. Um, you know, but it, it really hit home kind of what Serena had said. I de- I think I didn't like really formalize it in my head. But, you know, it, it really hit home when she was saying that it's unfair and that she, if she was a guy that she probably wouldn't have retired or not use that word, but, um, you know, kind of stop playing full time. And You know, it's something that I think about a lot, you know, um, you know, being a woman and, you know, I I chose family over playing. And, you know, unfortunately, like we kind of have to sometimes make that decision at times. But, um, you know, I feel very at peace with it. And it is funny to see kind of all of us getting old and making that decision, I guess. (laughs) Definitely is not it getting young old. One, though. I'm the young one in that group.
1: <laughs> is it unfair what people like Dylan and myself, the media do when you say that we kind of just want to transition to a different part of my life and we're like, say retire, just say it. Tell us you're retired. I think it's a little unfair sometimes when we demand that because like you said, you're thinking about Pebble Beach. You still have an exemption to play that event. The US Open is one of the most important events of your career. Um, so why, why do you have to put the big R word on it?
2: I think people like labels. Um, sure. you know, I've tossed that ro- word a couple of times, but you're right. That the R word is a very capital letter R word. Um, you can't say retire without it just sounding so harsh and you know strong um I think transition I think it's a softer word um I also feel like at 32 years old using the word retire is kind of obnoxious um am not retiring I'm still working and still you know doing things um but yeah it's it's a it's a tough word but yeah I definitely like transition a lot more but I see what you're saying and I've thrown it out a couple of times
0: I retired from professional golf at 25, Michelle, and it was sort of a forced thing because I I was really not very good at golf. Um, Also
1: had an identity crisis.
0: Also an identity crisis. But we ended up both on this same podcast. So I guess really, uh, who's to say? Um, How do you think about your career, giant big picture LPGA career, now that you are a little bit removed from... know being on the full-time grind of the lpga
2: yeah i think it's all about perspective you know obviously you know when you look back you always wish you could have done more i mean like you always you know the what ifs always pop into your mind like if i had done this i would have won that i would have done this if i hadn't gotten hurt i would have you know and of course, like that always pops into your mind. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm so proud for achieving the two biggest goals of my life um, that I had set when I was a kid. First, being graduating from Stanford, um, you know, doing that was like big check off my checklist. And then winning the U.S. Open was like the second one. Those were the two things I really wanted to do. Obviously, would have loved to have won multiple U.S. Opens. Would have loved to have won, you know, thirty tournaments. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really proud of myself for winning twice Um, in college while I was going to college full time and playing on tour full time. So I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of winning the U.S. Open, like I said. Um, But yeah, I mean, I have fun. I, you know, it was hard. I mean, playing professional golf full time was a grind. I'm not going to lie to you. It gave me a lot of anxiety at times. My mental health was not the best <laughs> at certain points of of the time, um, but I miss it. I miss traveling with my friends and, you know, being competitive, um, you know, doing broadcasting, being on live TV. That was like probably the closest thing I felt to the adrenaline of being on the first tee, um, which is, I guess, why I enjoyed it so much. Um, But yeah, I miss it, Um, but I also don't miss it at the same time. Um, That kind of anxiety in my life doesn't exist anymore, Um, so I feel good about that, I guess.
1: One thing I I saw you mentioned recently, I don't know if it was on a podcast or if it was in an interview, but you kind of mentioned how during your career you may have hid the magnitude of injuries or talked down uh, maybe exactly what you were going through not exactly been super forthright with with the media. Uh, I can totally understand being in that place I, to, to an extent. I'm not a pro, pro golfer doing those things, but I can understand why you would try to avoid that. Um, I'm curious how you got out of that and how you reached a, a place where you could be completely forthright and a lot more honest with what you were going through.
2: Yeah, I definitely went through a phase when I was younger. Um, you know, it was tough. I, Turn pro signed multi-million dollar contracts. Um, was very fortunate with that. And then, you know, boom, I broke, you know, three bones in my wrist. It's not something that you want to share with the world. I also did not know how to handle it at all. I went to my pediatrician. I didn't know that there was such a thing called orthopedic surgeons. <laughs> um, so yeah, my pediatrician put me in a cast and call it a day. And I didn't know about like the long-term effects of that. Um and so half of it was not knowing what to say to the depressed, but also just being like, embarrassed and feeling like, you know, when you're younger, you don't want to accept that you're, you know, I guess, quote unquote, weak or going through something you want to kind of put on this front that you're stronger, but I also felt like, by kind of not saying the whole picture, I was able to lie to myself, and convince mm-hmm. myself that I was okay, and that I wasn't going through something and that's something serious was really happening but then as I got older you know I was like okay what service am I doing by lying to a to myself and to other people so I just kind of changed my whole attitude towards the whole thing and um, try to be as upfront as I could Um, it's hard when you don't have the information you don't know exactly what's going on and that can seem like you know we as athletes are hiding things, but a lot of times we don't have the full picture about what's exactly happening with our injuries and and all that. So it's hard to kind of be forthright completely because it's like, you know, the story changes, diagnosis changes. So you don't want to say one thing and the next time it'd be a different thing. Um, but it was hard, but, you know, I just started to kind of trust my followers and my fans a lot more and, you know, give them the same respect that I hope that they Gave me. um, And I think it worked out really well.
1: It's a tricky balance that I think spectators, fans, media definitely demand of pro athletes, where we say, we want total 100% transparency and honesty. We also want you to have no weaknesses because you're an athlete and you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to be a champion both like internally and externally, um, this isn't really a question more than just a statement. It feels, it feels like that exists and it's probably a tricky thing for people in your shoes to, especially if you're very young to, to balance.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely struggle with that. Um, you know, what is the champ? What is, what is it to be a champion? Right. You know, you always see pictures of, you know, gymnasts with broken toes and ballerinas <sighs> with bloody toes, and you hear of Tiger, you know, having bloody fingers. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> yes, I just you need know, to get bloody and <laughs> just hit many as many balls as I can, and you know, become a champion that way. And I think with just you know, being a mom now, I ask that question a lot. Like, what's the right amount of push? You know, what's the what's the right amount of, um, you know, give and, you know, what's the right amount, the balance between mental health and pushing yourself to, you know, be the best, because you have to kind of tether that line to be the best at something to be pro at something. You have to tether that line. I mean, there's no question around it. Um, But it, it makes me think like being on the opposite side now, like, what is the ride map? i don't yeah. have the answer just like any other parent if they say they have the answers they're lying <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing um but yeah i mean looking back you know it's 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 amazing to see that the talk about mental health is so upfront and forward now and athletes are not scared to you know admit or you know share their experiences and i think that makes them stronger i think it's really cool like what Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka have been so, you know, out front and, you know, sharing their experiences because girls and boys need to hear that. They need to hear that it's okay to be human, but also that you are a champion, no matter what, that you don't need to be this ironclad, you know, human that doesn't feel any emotion and just has bloody fingers and toes all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's really important to keep talking about it.
1: For the uh, pro golfers in the room, Dylan and Michelle, have either of you hit balls until your hands bled?
2: Yes, <laughs> uh, but that was mostly due to those stupid cord grips, those full cord oh. grips. I still remember when it's cold and you hit your like your first five iron thin, and like the ringing feeling that you get. Um, after I moved to like way softer grips, and I haven't you know had that experience since.
0: Yeah, I definitely did, Sean, but hearing all this talk of success and bloody athletes, I feel like maybe if I'd done it a little bit more often, maybe I wouldn't be on this podcast with you. Um, Michelle, I'm curious, there's there's this talk. I, all right, to back up, I read this book, Range, by David Epstein, which sets up this uh, dichotomy of like a Tiger Woods versus Roger Federer. I don't know if you've read this book, but basically the idea is Tiger – specialized at a very young age. Roger played a ton of different sports. Wasn't really that interested in specializing in tennis. Didn't do so until later. And it's probably a little bit oversimplified. Like Tiger did play some other sports, but it's just an interesting way to think about, um, how kids become great athletes. And I'm curious a, where you would put yourself on that spectrum. Obviously you specialized in golf very early, but did you try a lot of other activities when you were little? and then also how does that inform your parenting style
2: um i did everything um i swam played baseball actually did ballet not well may i add um i did gymnastics you know i really wanted to be a tennis pro over a golf pro um when i was younger he you asked me that i wanted to be you know serena williams and you know pete sampras and all of them and I, like I said before, I have very heavy feet and I found out that maybe putting both feet on the ground at all times is best for me. And that's kind of how I got into golf. And I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. So I started like checking things off the list. Like obviously ballet and gymnastics were never going to happen for me. So those are crossed off pretty easily. I was really good at baseball, actually. Um, I was the only girl on the boys baseball team. Oh Yeah, yeah, I was was an all-star like closeout hitter cannot catch a ball to save my life <laughs> and I remember this moment in like DH. baseball where like they usually put me in the outfield because like which kid like really hits it in the outfield at that point point. and I remember like sitting there like looking at flowers and I remember I vividly remember this kid step up to the bat, like plate and he had a mustache and I'm like this kid is not like <laughs> five years old this kid has a mustache and he like hits it out there so I try to catch it, hits my face anyways cross baseball off the list um, and I vividly remember Tennis cross that off the list. I just couldn't run to the net, and then I was left with golf. And I was like, "Okay, this is it, Michelle. Like, if you're not if you're not turning pro in golf, then you're not going to be a pro athlete. So you better buckle down and buckle up, buckle up." And um, you <laughs> I think know, you can do either. Far. I think
0: you can buckle yeah. down or up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um Anyway, so that's kind of how I got to golf.
0: Wow. I All would right. like to
1: pause for one second and just paint the picture of of Michelle out in right field. <laughs> looking at the flowers getting hit in the head that is like the quintessential Hollywood version of like a kid who (laughs) shouldn't shouldn't be playing baseball (laughs) how many times have you seen that cartoon it's something like it's out of peanuts or something
0: picking dandelions they're
2: they're all yelling Michelle Michelle look up look up and I like put both of my hands up which obviously like you do not do and it like if you can envision it, the ball just like came right in the middle, hit me on the left cheek and I just started crying. And I literally oh, no. left the game, I think mid game. I was not tough as a kid like that.
0: Do you think those other sports ended up informing your golf at all, even though you weren't pro status at them?
2: Um, you know what? I think being the only girl on the boys baseball team is a correlation that I made later on to play in a PJ tour event. <laughs> Because I was like, I could play in a PJ tournament. I was on the boys' Pee-Wee baseball team. Uh, and in my 14-year-old brain, it totally made sense. Um, so I think that kind of got me going down like the men's golf path. And I think if I didn't have that experience, I don't know if that if I ever would have. Um, so that's kind of funny to think about. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, I had good hand eye, just was not a great
0: athlete. <laughs> Sounds like you're still an emerging pickleball player, though. I have high hopes for you there. Um, And also, I feel like we're getting more and more answers to why this tournament format is so appealing to you, because you had this whole wealth of experiences. like You've been famous for more than half of your life, right? So being an adult out of the spotlight is not even an existence that you have. Like, How do you make sense of that?
2: Um, you know, it was crazy when I was growing up. But it was also I feel like people that are the same age as us. We've had a weird life because half our life was without any social media without Google or anything like that. We still used floppy disk and couldn't put a JPEG on it. Um, and then now we're living in the world of TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram. And I don't even know, I guess, be real. I just heard of this the other yeah.
0: day. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, Not there But either. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, you know, when I was 14 and I was playing in PJ Tour events, like, honestly, I could hide from it because it wasn't blaring. Like, I didn't like I didn't have access to it unless my parents like showed me physical articles of me being on the newspaper. Like. It did that world didn't exist. You know, I still went to school. I was still not the popular kid at school and no one knew who I was. So I don't know. I was very fortunate. So, as much as I was in the spotlight, I guess I didn't feel that way. And I think if, it, if that happened in 2022, I think my life would have been completely different.
0: Okay, folks, let's take a really quick break so that I can tell you about our friends at Fairway Jockey. You've heard us, you've heard, you know, all sorts of golf experts talk about the importance of custom club fitting. But we also know that sometimes you can come away from a fitting with a little bit of sticker shock. The price for a new set can be just a little bit outside your budget, and that's where Fairway Jockey comes in. Simply upload the specs that you've received from a fitting to fairwayjockey.com and buy those same clubs for up to 15% off. It's really that easy. Upload and save at fairwayjockey.com. Spend better, score better. Back to Michelle.
1: I know this is a a generic question a lot of people ask. What would you tell a 12-year-old Michelle Wee if if you were playing in the final round uh, of your event next year and there's a 12-year-old junior next to you like what kind of advice would you depart with?
2: Yeah, I would I just always say have fun with it. Um, you know, don't forget it's a game. I think we easily forget that you know even amateur golfers you know i see people just getting so serious about the game you know we, we want to get better so fast and you know it, it's like this really strong desire to you know break a score or whatever that we forget it's a game we forget that we're outside it's beautiful we're playing with our friends and you know i think once you start to relax and things will happen uh but yeah just to keep having fun don't forget it's a game and um it's a hard game, but to look at it as a problem-solving experience.
0: All right. Last one for me, Michelle, when we're on work trips at dinner, we go through our highs and lows of the day. um, And then we give something we learned. I'm wondering if you look back at your career and as specifically as possible, like the high moment, not just like a win, but even a specific moment of that win. And then the same thing for a low, maybe start with a low and then finish on more of a high um
2: low um I think the low part for me when was when I got really scared of hitting a golf ball because of how much it hurt um I think that was like really scary for me um just like it wasn't even like a conscious thing I would just like literally freak out at the top of my back swing because I was scared to hit the ball. And it was like this thing that like, I really had a hard time overcoming because it wasn't conscious. It wasn't like, oh, I need to do this. And like, oh, I know it's going to hurt, but I'm going to say, right. It was like this total, like gut subconscious reaction um every time it took a swing. So that was really hard. Um, Was there a like moment had- where you
0: think you realized that like, oh, wow, I'm doing this thing. And I didn't even realize I was doing it.
2: Yeah, um, there's a lot of things I had to unlearn from my swing. And, you know, David and I worked really hard to do that. Um, I mean, so you see a lot of swing changes in my career. That's not because I wanted to change my swing, or um, I try to like, change it up to get better. It was really around, like certain injuries that I had at that time, like, what I could do to play without pain and play with less pain. Um, So I had to really like make drastic changes to kind of learn to play and then do the things that I'm comfortable with. Um, So yeah, I had a lot of things to unlearn, but I felt like, you know, there was a certain point um, towards the end of part of my career where I knew that my time was limited. So that's when I just really started to like really enjoy it and really take everything in because I just knew that, you know, I, I wasn't going to be out here forever.
0: All right. Let's get to your high then. Did it come at that U S open? Did it come in? your <laughs> coming to peace with golf at the end or, or your first success. Where was the absolute peak joy moment?
2: Um, definitely peak joy moment was when I won the U S open, um, probably when I made that, like that six foot double bogey putt <laughs> on 16, after I found <laughs> my ball, um, that stands out more to me than the birdie putt that I made on 17. But yeah, I still vividly remember walking down to the 18th green and just seeing everyone there. Um, I had friends from Hawaii there, um, you know, wearing this loud obnoxious Aloha shirts. I remember throwing a shaka to them and just seeing everyone and um, making that final putt. I just, I like still vividly remember how, like relieved and just like happy I felt
1: all right final question from me you're about to be the host of an LPGA tour event you know the LPGA tour extremely well for people listening to our podcast who don't know the tour as well who is someone on tour that we are not paying attention to that deserves way more attention than she's getting that you think is either a star player or personality like who are we missing
2: yeah I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I think there's a lot of younger talent on tour that um, it's really exciting. Like this past week at the Walmart, it was a really exciting playoff. And um, it was won in a really exciting way. Um, I think Jin Young Ko, just how consistent she is and how many, you know, greens and regulations that she has and how many under like rounds in the sixties that she has. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I think that there's just a lot of different stories out there, a lot of different nationalities. And the game, I mean, everyone's just so good. We I mean, have Allison Lee, who's overcome such a big, you know, mental health aspect of her life and really come out strong this year. You know, Andrea Lee, who just broke through and won her first LPGA event. Um, yeah, let me know. And, um, you know, Mooney just had her, you know, career top finish. So there's a lot. And there's a lot of players that, I think the golf media could be focusing a lot more attention
0: on noted will do michelle um thanks so much for being here uh where do you, where can people find you where can where do you want people to uh listen to your podcast etc etc
2: yeah follow at golf mostly it's a podcast um by hallie ledbetter and yours truly we're going to launch in november we have We've recorded a couple of sessions and um, it's going to be really exciting.
1: Sweet. Well, thank you, Michelle. All the, all the best with that podcast, but don't be too good at it because <laughs> then you'll be competing with us and making us look, <laughs> Well, better. maybe
2: we'll do like a little cross crossover
0: pod. There we go. Yeah, I, see
2: I love a that good thing. Crossover <laughs> pod. <laughs> awesome. Right.
0: Well, thanks
1: again for joining us.
2: Thank you.
0: Okay, Sean, that was the one and only Michelle. Wee. um, God, that was fun. She was great.
1: I just think she needs to have a, a little bit more clear, positive thing when she thinks
0: about New York City. I don't know if I loved her answer about the <laughs> trash bags. That was weird. I was kind of going through thinking about like, oh man, I'd I'd want to go like sit at the bar yeah. and get a little Comedy bowl of seller. pasta, Lartuzzi, Um, <laughs> you know, go to yeah, find a nice happy hour on the West Side Highway, like. There's pretty much no shortage of things. Go for a stroll through Central Park after work. There's a lot of things that I miss about New York City. Um, the trash bags, they, they don't come to mind super that fast. Said,
1: that said, if I ask you to think about the smell of Central Park, you probably don't have a, a distinct smell of Central Park. That, But if you go to the East Village in the summertime and I asked you to smell what it smells like in the East Village yeah. in the summertime, that's what Michelle's talking about.
0: Hot trash. Oh yeah. I mean, I get. I totally get that. That's. I totally get why her men mind went in that direction. Totally understand it. Um, Sean, one thing I want to point people's attention to: Episode one of Destination Golf Linksland is now live, and I think it's pretty fun. Um, we got to get we gotta get people over there watching it checking out our expedition to Royal Portrush, one of the hardest courses I've ever played, one of the most epic courses I've ever played. Um, And so, yeah, we take on the course. We take on the town. I think it's a fun watch. You can go to the golf.com YouTube channel, um, search Destination Golf. Yeah,
1: Dylan and I played a match at Royal Portrush, probably one of the worst rounds of golf I've played in in a a long time, in the last see
0: if it was enough... To still beat me
1: <laughs> yeah uh, Dylan also didn't play that well so it was a pillow fight but the entire video super fun I end up jumping in the Irish Sea hopefully that's not a huge spoiler but either way 20 minutes of fun over there on the YouTube channel go check it out and part two is coming this week when we go to Royal Liverpool enjoy we'll see you next week